Well, this is Rugga Matrix America. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report. And Rugga Matrix America is brought to you by Eagle Impact Rugby Academy. We have a very special episode here this time with a long interview with USA Rugby CEO Dan Payne, former USA national team player, former on-back player, former head coach at San Diego State and Life University, and also then athletic director at Life uh, before taking the USA Rugby CEO job. Uh, we talk about the challenges, the tough times uh, in the past, and possibly up ahead. So here's my chat with Dan Payne. Well, hey, everybody. This is Alex Goff with Goff Rugby Report and Rugby Matrix America, um, uh, joined by the USA Rugby's new CEO, not that new anymore, uh, Dan Payne. And Dan, uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. You're, you're a busy guy and you're moving all over the country. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, well, thanks for all that you do. I appreciate it. Right, Easy for me you. to do when I can make the time, so thanks. All right. Excellent. Well, we know you, we've got a lot to cover, I think. Um, now, first of all, uh, Dan, when you when you took the job, um, did, did you know what you were getting into? <laughs> um, I think hindsight being twenty twenty, I could say that I knew what I was getting into from the standpoint that uh, I know that there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, you know, even even when when I was looking at the job itself, um, you know, I knew there was going to be adversity, and I knew that it's rugby in America, and we have a, a lot of work to do. A lot of really committed people um, to to you know chip in and help get things done. Would I have foreseen some of the uh, obstacles that we had to navigate? Uh, that would be um, a no. Okay. <laughs> but I don't. You know, who knows what the next six months will bring? At, at that point, you know, I think it's it's um, it's not something that I looked at taking on as a job, so to speak. I had a, a, a great situation in Atlanta that I was very comfortable with. This was more of a an opportunity to serve our union and, and really throw, throw my energy behind a passion that I have for a game that's been phenomenal to me. So, um, you know, I kind of roll, roll with it from that standpoint. All right. Good. Excellent. Now, the... You've run across uh, several challenges. We'll we'll touch on those as we go along. Um, you know, we're talking about this uh, partly. We're we're speaking not that long since uh, the USA national teams um, have had a pretty good uh, several weeks, uh, especially on the on the men's side with uh, some good performances in the sevens arena. But more importantly, I think, um, or, or more of note, uh, the the performance of the the men's 15s national team winning the ARC, uh, despite having uh, a bunch of players who weren't available for it. Um, does does that, in and of itself, give you you know a, a really nice little boost? Um, how do you feel about that, or is it just? Uh, I guess I, I guess is it is it just? Does it not really mean all that much because there's a bunch of other stuff to work work on and deal with and, and manage? Nope. Well, no, I think it's it's one aspect of our union, obviously, but it's a, a very high-profile aspect. You know, I think we had all of our assets charging forward that weekend um, with the 15s team coming back and putting in the performance down in Argentina, the women's team taking fourth and the men's team taking third. You know, you could make a case for, for every single one of those instances being one of the you know highest accomplishments for that 
team in, in at least in recent history. You know, the men's 15s team was, if, if <clears throat> you know, if we're without some of our marquee players and professionals, and as were some of the other teams, it's, you, you want to win, and that's what we did. You know, the coaching staff obviously had them prepared, and, and they won, and they came back in Argentina and tied a team, you know, that's um, full, of, full of extremely competent and strong players. Our men's team winning the bronze and beating New Zealand on home soil was uh, in the sevens tournament. Vegas was, you know, extremely, um, moment, you know, a, a monumental achievement. And then at the same time, the women taking fourth and playing in front of 20,000, 25,000 uh, fans on Saturday could arguably be of those three, maybe for, for each entity, the, the, the highest achievement and that we put our, our great product as our women's sevens team in front of so many people and um, we're able to, you know, broadcast and, and display uh, the brand of rugby that they're building. But I, I think it's a testament to the coaches of all three staffs, the players, they, you know, this is obviously a year of adversity for our union. Yeah. Um, not that any year is easy, Right, it's still it's, it's rugby in America, and, and we don't make excuses, and we have to do more with less. But this year, more than others, um, all the staffs and all the players and and everyone's been faced with with some obstacles that we have to navigate. And without using it as a crutch, they've all gone forward and put in great preparation by the coaches, phenomenal performances by the players, and and great results. So I, I think it's something we can be proud of as a as a country, obviously. Uh, interesting. The the way you um, describe that is not the way a lot of others uh, in your position or on the board have described it. It seems like a lot of people kind of end up jumping on a few good results and sort of taking credit for it. I didn't hear you say that. Um, I heard you say it was a good thing. Um, how 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 indelibly linked. Uh, are the uh, results of the national team with measuring success uh, for USA Rugby and for you um, and for you personally? Yeah, you know, I think it's something that we have to. We always have, want our teams to perform well. I think we have to uh, manage expectations in reality with what our coaches and our players have as resources um, with you know what we expect them to achieve. And, and that's something, you know, that, that we just have to consistently do and we have to be realistic. Um, but, you know, we don't make excuses. We don't look for reasons to say why we can't do something. You know, I think when, when you're low on resources, you have to get resourceful. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's kind of what every single player has done and, and all the coaches have done. And, you know, and there's a, a lot of obviously pressure to, perform well because that comes with the territory of being an athlete, being a coach in, in any environment, you want to perform well. But uh, I think a great metric um, that we can continue to use to drive forward is, you know, what is our membership growth? How many more youth are playing each year? Um, how many more people are, are watching and seeing and becoming aware of rugby? You know, those are the metrics that will then lead to a strong performance with all of our national teams. And I think that's what you're seeing as, as we, we go forward in all of those areas that I described, those will, the end result will be outcome, uh, outcomes. You know, we have to continue to focus on the process of growing the number of players, growing the number of people that, that watch rugby, that go to participate in stadiums to, you 
know, view rugby, the buy rugby apparel, et cetera. And, that, and the end goal is hopefully a, a better product. All right, good. This uh, final thing's really <clears throat> directly on the national team. We did have overseas pros, some of them available, some of them available for a couple of days, uh, a couple of games, some of them available for much more, and, and one or two not available at all. Um, that's a, a trade-off that Nigel Melville uh, made a, a few years ago, and um, I, I believe it's a trade-off that you inherited. But what what is the thought going forward in terms of getting the likes of Samu Manoa to be able to play for the national team whenever the national team plays? Um, I think we have to be, again, I'll come back to, to realistic expectations, and we have to manage the careers of some of our overseas professionals that's best for for them and and their longevity with their clubs also balanced with development of domestic players and the opportunities to compete at home obviously you know there's certain times a year that that we want our first team players at every position and that's usually in the june tests and for a good portion of the fall tests you know the arc is, is has proven to be a great tool to develop for six weeks straight, those players that may not um, get, you know, week in, week out competition. And, you know, it's not just, you know, the competition on Saturdays. So it's actually the true value is not, it's the competition on Saturday, but then followed with the video and the coaching and the tutelage and the drills and all the skill development that comes Sunday through Friday and the prep for the next week. Um, you know, so that, that's the true value to our domestic players, Sam and Manoa, um, we know that well, you know, for for the last two matches in June for a World Cup qualifier this year, if we have to have him and every other player at any time, that's when we need our our first string guys um, straight through. But I think we have to balance it. A lot of our players are, you know, they're they're brought into some of their professional organizations, not family, but some of the others, as the you know they're on the roster to fill in when that team loses their internationals. Right. So, you know, if, if, if we're taking all of our internationals at the marquee time or at the, you know, prime time when that team is losing their, their you know, potentially what they would have is their domestic internationals, you know, it, it is a black eye and, a, and something that teams would um, have pause with when signing some of those players. Right. So, you know, it's always a, a balance, a delicate balancing act. The, the ARC being... Uh part of the six nations window seems logical you'd think that then well the players would be available but that's as you said that's why sometimes players are signed so they would be available during the six nations um precisely and yep and and we and we need we need those players to show you know and to pay back the clubs that have invested in them so you know it's uh it's 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 something that uh, the coaching staff has to del- you know, balance delicately and, and be aware of and cognizant of. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's, um, it's less than ideal, but it's just one of the factors that goes into our situation. Okay. Um, I said no more national team questions. One more. Uh, the, the USA, the, the men's Eagles are playing two games in June and then the world cup qualifiers is two games, I believe. So, so it's June, June. <clears throat> I can't give you the locations yet, but the, they're, they'll be released in coming, coming months, but June 24th will be in Canada. July one will be in the U S. 
and it's it's obviously the net point differential of that home and away series for the North America one spot to the 2019 World Cup. Right, and uh, and and before that, USA plays uh, uh, Ireland um, yep. in in New Jersey. Uh, at Red Bull Arena on June 10, and then June 17th plays Georgia in Georgia, but the different Georgia. So that's uh, yeah, just kind of funny. Uh, but the um, this is also a, a situation where the the USA has a uh, a really really good shot of taking that North America one seed first time ever. Yep, you know, and that's that's something that obviously that sets you up for a, a higher standing within your pool at the world cup. Um, you know, there, there's, I think, you know, as, as you said, it'd be quite the achievement for, uh, for us to take that North America one seed. And, you know, it's, it's Canada. It's a heated rivalry. It'll, there'll uh, be a different team in, in late June than, than they were in the ARC as, as they've well publicized. Um, you know, and, and we'll be a little bit different, but, uh, you know, it just promises to be a great, great competition. All right. Excellent. Uh, let's talk about money for a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it USA Rugby is in a financial shortfall, a significant financial shortfall, uh, not of your doing. You you arrived and discovered it. We'll just put that out there first of all. Um, what it, what is the extent of the problem? Um, well, I think I think the the cause of the problem. Are, are primarily three separate issues. Um, one is we, we receive a lot of our high performance money through uh, World Rugby grants and Brexit, and the the result of the exchange rate is almost it, it, it's it's gone from 1.5 down to 1.2 ranges anywhere from 1.2 to 1.22. So, you know, you can see the impact of that when you're talking about 900,000 or a million pounds, there's a, there's a direct impact of three to $350,000 there potentially. Um, and then we have the PLK, uh, apparel deal that went into receivership. Um, and that was uh, a little bit more than half a million dollars of revenue that we were expecting to receive in, 2017. So, um, you know, the, the, the Olympics, because it's the first year of the quadrennial, always the decrease, you know, back in every single Olympic cycle that, that occurs. Um, but it's just an adjustment because you go from the strongest being in year four, where you get the, the highest amount of direct athlete support, and then you, you adjust back to year one. So it is a reduction, um, you know, and, uh, it's just something that we we didn't obviously foresee. There weren't a lot of adjustments made for it in the beginning and the, the first part of 2016. We tightened down the hat, the hats, so to speak, in the back half. Um, and, uh, you know, now we have to adjust in 2017. And, you know, when you have less revenue, you, you, you lessen your expenses. And you have to trim down your fixed costs and all those areas that, um, you know, we, we – we don't run very rich and fat to begin with, but we're having to run very, very lean this year. So we're we're talking about a shortfall uh, in the seven figures, correct? I would say more accurately of, of high six figures, and okay. and and let's just let's let's suggest that it's not a shortfall implies that it's going to be a shortfall to budget. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a readjustment to our budget. You know, okay. I mean, I would say it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a high six figure reduction in the revenue that we'll have in 2017 versus 2016. Okay. Close but, to, close to seven, close to seven figures. But we also had a budget crisis in 2016, did we not? Because of, um, an expense versus revenue dichotomy with, uh, I think re- with regard to the national teams, the men's national teams. Well, that, yeah, that, that was a shortage. That was okay. a shortfall. That was right. But that was, uh, you know, that was an expense issue, um, versus, you know, it wasn't as much of a revenue issue. There was somewhat of a revenue issue, but it was also, um, you know, an, an over expenditure issue. <clears throat> okay. So over expenditures in 2015, um, or, or, I mean, they're, they're, part of that was expected revenue didn't come in, um, as I understand it. And then uh, um, in 2016, it was a lack. It, it was like you, you're not getting all the revenue from BLK. You're not getting all the revenue from from World Rugby. So is that is is, is that accurate, or is it also there some over expenditures? You mean from this most recent year? Yeah, from last year. Yeah, in in 2016 there were there was a combination of both. There was yeah. a lesser amount of revenue, but there were also some expenditures that went above budget in each piece. And so, so what you're doing is you're looking ahead. You're 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 putting it all through the uh, the official USA Rugby abacus and saying we got to cut expenditures across the board. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep, and that's kind of you know it's a it's a lean year, and we have to you know we have to trim and and cut and, and do all that we we still have a, an obligation to grow the game and facilitate the all the programmatic needs that we would like to do. We just can't do them as robustly as we as we might think we were going to. But it doesn't mean we're we're still not going to try to move the needle and march our game forward. That's you know, if anything else, you, you push a little harder into the wind when it's blowing in your face. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what we have to do this year. Uh, you know, it's, it's been refreshing in that we have a community and a membership that are so supportive from the standpoint of, you know, not only, you know, obviously when you're a membership organization, you're never going to have everybody be happy all the time. And you're always going to be challenged with, you know, everybody has something else that's very important to them that they're passionate about. And it, and it, it's motivational to me. Um, but all the differences aside, our community for the most part has been like, Hey, let's just, let's tighten up our shoelaces here and let's get together with this this year and we'll fight through this year and, and we'll come out stronger on the backside, you know? So that's, that's been a little bit inspirational to me. Um, but it doesn't take the day to day challenges out of it, but you still, you have a, a common sense of understanding our landscape, um, wanting to make it better. And, and marching forward, so you know it's uh, we'll um, keep doing that. I think people understand tighten, belt tightening times, um, but there are some fixed costs that you can't really change. Um, you have, I think, around forty people on your payroll, give or take. Mid thirties, mid thirties. I guess maybe yeah. some some people yeah. shared with RIM and, well, and it may have been, some yeah. people like uh, I don't know that I don't know the situation with the trust, for example, um, how that works. Um, yeah, and and some of those, you know, let, let's let's talk about uh, our men's national team coaches. Those are those are some pretty high 
uh, salaries, and and some people might say they're not high enough, but in comparison to what your budget is, and we're talking about you know half a million dollars that are locked in by contract. Um, is that is that sure. what do you do about that? Can you do anything about that? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think you always you're looking at all of your costs, and some things will have to change based on a change in, in resources, and that's something that we've been working over, you know, quite diligently. Um, you know, there's there's certain areas that we have more flexibility in than others, um, you know, and that's that's where we have to look to navigate for what's best to the to the overall business, and then how we can successfully run the organization. Uh, you know, so without getting into the specifics of anything, you know, that's. 2017 is different than 2016 as we sit in it right now. And it's much different than 2017 would have been forecast at this time last year um, in 2016. So there's changes that need to be made in different areas and they're not personal. They're, they're organizational decisions that, that have to be made based on the resources we have. Okay. And, and some of this stuff goes away if you get a, a big jolt of income. Well, I think I think yeah, your 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 problems either go away or they exacerbate. But you know, I'd rather have the exacerbated problem by having that <laughs> yeah. income, of course. Right. Yeah. Okay. What's the role with you personally and with USA Rugby and Rugby International Marketing? Um, is especially considering the idea of you know you talk about getting people to go see the Eagles play. We talk about income. That's RIM's job. Um, I think anybody who saw, for example, the crowd size in San Antonio uh, would think, well, nobody seemed to go to that game. And um, that was somewhat disappointing. And then, then you see a week later in Austin, crowds seem to be pretty robust. So, um, you know, it, it, what's, how do you work with that? And how, um, is, is, is RIM... Uh, Clear, uh, am I clear on what well, I am supposed yeah, to be doing? Yeah, I think that, that you're 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 clear on the events, the events, and um, you know the international events and the domestic events are are managed by Rugby International Marketing. That being said, you know we've we've now got a clearly identified strategy within our major markets, within where the majority of our test matches are going to go. You know, if you look at those major markets, you know, this isn't to say we're not going to continue to try to grow the game everywhere in the U.S. That's our goal. But when we take our international matches to those major markets and the facilities that we have there, um, coupled with the infrastructure of the youth and the high school and the college and the club scenes that are in each of those areas, um, you know, we have a much more prepared um, <clears throat> audience to have success and to then, to then not only have the events be successful, but the the legacy and the footprint that's left is you have that aspirational component that then drives everything from youth rugby all the way up through your top club teams, um, being able to go and share and, and looking at, at the top men's and women's uh, international events. And, you know, hopefully that stimulates added interest and awareness. So, um, you know, yeah, there, there's some some things that, that won't be happening in the future, obviously, that we've all agreed to as, as part of our, our new strategy and, and approach. And, uh, you know, I, I would hope that, uh, you know, that that's going to lead to further success with attendance and with the uh, uptake on, you know, youth and, and high school seeing a lot of our international events. So to paraphrase, you wouldn't necessarily 
be using a national team or, or major event to grow and drive interest in the sport. You're, you need to grow and drive interest in the sport in another way so then it becomes a legitimate market. So lots of people play rugby in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City could, is potentially a good place to go for the Eagles to play. There, there isn't, there's not a lot of rugby going on in Lincoln, Nebraska, right, some, but right. not a lot. Uh, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily try to go play at the University of Nebraska uh, until you exactly. There. You know exactly. There's be- there's there's value that comes from those elite international games um, that <clears throat> you know, and 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 there's efficiencies that come from playing in full stadiums um, from a revenue perspective, but more so from an awareness and an overall environment and ambiance perspective. People that might be near to the game, if they go and there's 1,500 people or 2,000 people there, they leave regardless of the competition they saw, not really that enamored with the overall event. When they go to, even if it's a 10,000-person stadium and there's eight or 9,000 people in it, it's a different environment. You know, you go to Glendale where it might be three or 4,000, it's packed. If it's full and a great jumbotron from normal field, you know, the ambiance helps sell the game and, and everybody leaves with a much more professional um, interpretation of their overall experience, whether they're a rugby fan or not. And, and that's what we need to do when we take these events uh, to different cities around the country. All right. Good. Um, and, th- and that's important. That that's, that's a critical part of your, the, the organization's revenue. I mean, it grows the game, people get excited, but it's also it, about revenue. It, exactly. And, and it's about, creating revenue and commercial opportunities. And, you know, it's a lot easier with your commercial partners when they see full stadiums and when they see unfull stadiums, right? Um, it's a lot easier when you have 500 to 1,000 7 to 13-year-olds, they're boys and girls watching the game, and they see a full stadium and a lot of noise and a lot of energy. It, it hooks them into being lifelong fans and lifelong players more so than than the opposite of that. So, you know, it's our, our responsibility to continue to try to foster that environment. All right, good. Uh, the biggest event we've seen, of course, uh, was last November uh, in Chicago, uh, selling out New Zealand versus Ireland. Um, did USA Rugby get something out of that? Uh, is that something you want to continue to do? Well, I think, sure. I mean, I think that um, what USA Rugby got out of it, you know, there, there'd be multiple benefits. One would be it proved that, you know, there's an incentive or a, a commercially viable reason for two tier one countries to come play in the United States, um, you know, to be able to sell out Soldier Field, to be able to say we sold out Soldier Field or, you know, we sold out... Um, the, the game the night before, and then we sold out Soldier Field on Saturday. It's just a good story, and it's, it's a good message to be able to send. Um, you know, but when you can combine rugby with sold-out Soldier Field, you know, it, it starts to, to, again, give yourself some, some credibility um, in those discussions. Uh, you know, I think it's also the first time a lot of people within the United States ever saw two Tier 1 countries compete. You know, and it was really showcased the elite level of, you know, world-class rugby in person. And, and they saw that there was nothing like it. Um, you know, so it, there's, I, I think that there's a lot that, 
that was gained out of it um, in, in that regard. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it was like... It was like a World Cup match, and I think if people have not been to the World Cup, it did have that kind of feel to it, um, yeah. which is great, absolutely great yeah. for um, for the sport. Did, uh, what about financially? Did you do you get enough of a cut out of that event to for it to work? Yeah, definitely. I think um, you know you look at the at the the short term you know percentage is is always valuable, but again the long-term play in the, in the marathon is what, what awareness do we drive? How many new fans do we generate? How much merchandise was sold that will help us brand, um, rugby in America? Uh, you know, and it's, it's obviously something that, you know, we know that New Zealand because of the all black brand is very powerful. We've seen, we've now seen that Ireland, um, with 35 million in excess of 33 million Irish Americans, claiming residency here uh, has a, a direct connection to it. Um, you know, and, and as we try to grow awareness of our game, that doesn't mean that somebody has to be a USA rugby fan. If we're growing actual rugby fans or people that are interested in rugby because they're Irish Americans, so they go to a game because Ireland's playing and they leave a rugby fan, well, that's a game for USA rugby, for American rugby. You know, that, that, that's a game. That's a win for, for the, the awareness and the overall exposure for our sport in our country. Well, yeah, I think I think that's that's kind of like uh, almost the Olympic thing. You go, you, if you go to the Olympics, I've I've been to two Winter Olympics personally. Um, you know, I like to cheer USA, but that's not the only reason I'm going. And and I went to see Finland Sweden in a hockey game because that was going to be yeah. a great game. Um, and I'm a hockey fan, and and that's the sort of thing that I think you you can get. If if uh, people who are have an overseas uh, heritage, they, if they start to feel like rugby in the United States is a, mm -hmm. serious, then they say, "All right, I'll go see. I'll go see the Eagles sure. play. What the heck? You know, I'm 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 a I'm a Scotland supporter, but um, actually, you know, this this USA team did pretty well, and and um, they put yeah. on a good event and." That kind of stuff, you know, I, that that make that has a logic to it. Okay, would you do this again? I mean, is is the uh, the Chicago is the Soldier Field thing something where we can? No, I think see we'll again? always continue to try to do them. Um, you know, with the the new worldwide schedule that's come out and and the demands on a lot of the players, professional players that are going into full test windows and um, you know having to play additional games outside of the test window, it, you know, becomes quite burdensome on on their bodies and on the player welfare aspect. So it'll, it'll continue to be a struggle to a certain degree. Um, but the flip side of it is, you know, we have over 300 million people in our country and a lot of these other countries are seeing um, an opportunity to try to help grow their brand within our country um, is, is, you know, and, and that's, that's part of their incentive. But whenever a, a team leaves their home test match, uh, they're leaving a lot of money on the table. So all of the games have to be outside the test window. Anything outside the test window brings up a lot of different issues from, you know, player welfare perspective. So, you know, it's just something that, that we'll, we'll, we'll continue to try to broker as much as we can, but it'll, it'll get a little bit more difficult as we move forward. Uh, and, and when we talk about the test window, as, as, as I work on a tortured segue, <laughs> 
uh, we talked about the, the the test window. It's really about national teams and national governing bodies and world rugby dealing with professional uh, clubs that are paying money to have those players uh, available um, throughout the season and then are being asked to give them up and have them at risk for injury, things like that. Um, the The relationship between governing body and professional rugby can be very difficult. Um, obviously, last year, the relationship between everybody and the new professional rugby league in the United States was very difficult. Um, I don't. I don't think they're playing this year. I, mean, I haven't heard. You know, I haven't heard anything about them. But uh, w- w- what's what's the uh, the upshot from the pro rugby experience? Um, and what's going to happen going forward? So I, I think that we all saw the value that um, immersing that many players in in a daily training environment. For the most part, many many of the players were in a daily training environment. I think um, you know some of the teams. I'm not so sure how many were in a four and five day a week daily training environment and how many weren't. But what you did see is with the consistency of competition from week one to the last week of the season, you saw a, a very strong upward trajectory and, and, you know, improvement in the overall quality of play. I think you, you probably saw that carry over into a lot of the depth that was provided um, even, you know, throughout, throughout the California cup and this winter to the ARC. Uh, so there's a benefit there. Um, you know, what we're going to see this year and what, what the next steps are. You know, I, I've been given reassurances that there's uh, going to be a season two, um, but I'm, I'm with you. I've, I've yet to see a, uh, a schedule, um, not, uh, you know, haven't, haven't uh, heard a whole lot as of late, so we're waiting to see uh, how season two shakes out. But, um, you know, with the, the recent announcement of the coaches, uh, the final, I think, was the last three coaches that were on staff have, have been like, oh, I'm not sure what that, you know, bodes for the future, but I can't speak for the organization for a pro, you know, but um, I think uh, we all wanted to have success and we were, we, we were, had a, a great year one, um, you know, so. Great year one on the field, off the field, some troubles and things like that. And, and you know, they, they've been outlined, I don't um you know, and, and probably, I'm probably freer to say so as the, uh, than you. Um, the, the there are other efforts to create some kind of league. Um, uh, uh, do we run into legal issues? I mean, the thing is, USA Rugby doesn't own the sport of rugby. Um, you know, any any registered team can go play any other registered team. Uh, Sure. So I guess um, you know. I think I think there's there's uh, you know there's there's different aspects and there's different teams that, that as has been the case for the sport in our country since since it started. Um, you know, with the PRP and the ARP and all the different different leagues that have have popped up for the benefit of what they believe is right for their member clubs. Um, you know, you see so with the Varsity Cup as well, and um, you know we have. Varsity Cup and college D1A and different championships for um, different, you know, universities. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, look, it's, it's, um, there will always be uh, a group that wants to try to take over the top 
and and have the elite competition in the country. Uh, we have an agreement that's still in place, uh, obviously, with pro that um, we're hoping, you know, shows that there'll be a successful season too. But I have to, you know, echo what you said. I, I haven't seen anything yet, so I can't really comment on it. All right, got it. Um, speaking of various different. Uh, competitions, things like that. Uh, there's the Varsity Cup, which I think is 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 having having a bumpy road this spring. Um, there's uh, the the collegiate rugby championship, the the Sevens Invitational that the team that you used to coach, um, Life University, is in, um, and they're run by United World Sports, who also runs the, the USA Sevens. Now the USA Rugby came into a deal with United World Sports to host the women's uh, World Series stop on the same weekend in Las Vegas. Um, so with that, it seems like there's a little bit, I, I think, I, I can't remember if I used the word thawing or olive branch. I may have used both of those terms. Uh, but basically there's, there's a feeling that, that you personally are some, so you, you are someone that, uh, United World Sports people feel that they can work with because you worked with them. You you get along with a lot of people. Um, I haven't seen you burn too many bridges. Um, you you, I think you have a good relationship with, uh, interestingly, with Dan Lyle, who is now no longer with United World Sports and is working with AEG. Um, but with United World Sports, are we going to see a little bit more sort of coming to the table maybe and discussing some of these issues and discussing some of the splits and, and yeah I, I think um i i would say i would i would be hopeful we are i mean it'll 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 tell you uh the the last i mean in new york city right now i was in here for the captain's knox fundraiser uh last night that raised over one hundred twenty five thousand dollars for youth rugby in and around the united states uh richard sexton and the captain's knock brand did that um you know so Whenever I come to New York, it's always a two or three day chock full itinerary of meetings. And, you know, it was uh, last night I had a great meeting with, with Play Rugby USA and Mark Griffin. Then we had the Captain's Knock dinner this morning. I had breakfast with Dan Lyle and Steve Cohen of AEG, went to Rugby International Marketing, and then had lunch with Jonathan Jonathan First and Jeff McDowell um, of, uh, of United World Sports, you know, and, and have, have another meeting here later this afternoon. So, you know, our our country is a continent. It's not it's not the the normal sized country that most would try to manage. We need our service providers and our partners. And as you said earlier, this makes sense. We don't own the game of, game of rugby. We as USA Rugby, or as as I like to even sometimes say, it, as rugby, you know, in America, we own the right and the responsibility to facilitate the growth of rugby in America. And if we can do that with the tremendous professionalism and standards that come through partnering with United World Sports, Adivis, all of our NDAs, um, you know, uh, AEG now is in, is in the works. PLA we've used, Rugby International Marketing, all, you know, is, is obviously our, our direct subsidiary, but all these different entities that are, are in essence partners to help us grow the game, we need to look for a way to all collectively work together and grow the overall pie versus looking at each other as competitors. Uh, you know, maybe there'll come a day when we can all be a little more cutthroat, but right now as, as we look to try to grow the game, we all need to partner 
and try to make sure we're increasing the overall pie for the benefit of of everyone and, and every rugby player, coach, administrator, fan in the country. So, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of my outlook on it is, um, you know, especially with United World Sports and John Prosmax put more money into rugby in the United States than anybody, probably by 10. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and uh, over the decade that he's helped build the USA Sevens Tournament, I, I feel indebted to to help him and his organization continue to have success, continue to allow them to drive the game forward, as, as well as all the others that are vested partners. So, I mean, it's it's an attitudinal thing, or it's an attitude. Uh, I'm not sure if attitudinal is a word, but I hear a lot of coaches use it, so uh, I'll use it. Um, the, the criticism, you've heard me use this criticism about USA Rugby, so it's not new for you to hear me say that there are some people in the organization at some point in the last several years who would rather something not get done than have someone else do it. You know, and 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 if and if United World Sports is being successful, then there's a jealousy factor to the point of not like actively not wanting to help them. Um and and it seems like you, for, one of your roles from the top, can be to stand up there and say, "No, we're going to work with these people because they're helping the game. We're going to work with those people because they're putting on yep. a, a good." I mean, really, at some point, it's just what you say about it. Well, without a doubt, and and let's let's just pretend it is a word, whether it is or not. It is attitudinal, <laughs> and it's how you it's how you respect. You know, there's it's how you respect the people that are are working hard to to elevate the standard. But it's also how we have to look at ourselves. We have to look at ourselves. We're a member service institution. Our job is to help facilitate the growth of the game and, and serve our membership. Um, you know, some of the other organizations can can take a little bit of a different approach because they are a for-profit company or because, you know, they don't have the obligation to the membership that we have. Um, and, and, you know, if, if we can outsource... Um, some of those responsibilities and allow the game to grow. And, you know, you heard me speak of, of the two key factors is growing awareness of the game and growing overall participation. Right. And I don't care if they ever look at anything that we do and say, you guys did that. If there's more people playing and there's more people understanding and aware of the game, rugby in America wins. And if we can help facilitate that growth and keep people aligned around a common strategy um, to, to have that have success and, then so be it. That's a win for the game in our country. Good. Speaking of membership, uh, the membership numbers. Um, on occasion, I've I've received these sort of, uh, you know, you didn't hear this from me. Notes um, talking about how the membership numbers of USA Rugby are not really accurate. That when it somebody says it's one hundred ten thousand, um, it's really only eighty two, something like that. <laughs> is is there? A, um, is there an inflation of membership numbers? Um, perhaps based, maybe it's based on you know when somebody registers as a, a coach, a player, a referee, and an administrator, or something like that. Or um, yeah, no, there's you know I can tell you that I watch our membership quite closely because that's one of the metrics that that I'm very very uh, attached to. Um, you know, and, and there's no inflation of the membership. Uh, you know, if somebody's dual dual enrolled. Um, we, you know, we'd have to look into that, but I can tell you that uh, w- the way that we'll, we look at membership is in units, um, 
And if, if, you know, if, if we had 120,000 members in 2016 and the next year we, we have 127,000, that's an increase of 7,000. Okay. Uh, you know, and that, that's what we measure ourselves on. So, uh, that's, that's one of the things that we want to continue to drive, you know, all, you know, growth in all aspects. And, and, and that's, that's part of, you know, we talked a lot at the beginning about, you know, our, our Olympic teams and our national 15s teams, you know, what, what gets lost is those are the things we focus a lot on publicly, but the, the real key drivers that we have to also keep our eyes on are not just players, but more importantly, those things that players need, which are refs and administrators, um, you know, and certified coaches. Those, those are the things that we have to just give as much attention to as the game grows, you know, and, and we need to continue to get the messaging out there on everybody wants to talk about world cup and performances and national team performances, but we have to equally measure how many more refs are we getting certified? How many coaches are we upskilling? You know, how many people are we developing that can help us, sustain this growth um you know so i think the, the shiny objects are, are one thing but we we can't forget about the messaging about you know pushing people to get certified to be officials and and, and developing their coaching abilities so. love those shiny objects i think i think officials is probably the number one thing if you ask from, from what i garner from what i write about is ensuring that we have a good pool of young officials coming up and that they are good and that they know what they're doing and that they're put in positions to do that. And, um, and, and a good referee uh, for a, um, you know, a Division II high school B game or something is still, va- is still important. And, and we, well, we with, need that. Without support. a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's important for so many reasons. First and foremost, the safety. Second is just flow of the game and, and understanding what's material, what's not, and how to keep the game moving when need be, and, and also being situational. You might ref, you'd ref a, an elite-level game a little bit differently than you might ref that, that high school B-side game where you have a lot of newer players in it where you might be able to stop and teach and educate a little bit here and there. Um, but, you know, you, you just you have, to be, you have to be competent and you have to have safety first. That's, that's why it's, it's so crucial that as we grow, we, we – grow in all aspects all right good i'm going to channel uh, bruce mclean here for a little bit um yeah uh because he's not here to ask you these questions or talk to you about this um usa rugby should outsource training coaches or or, or really just allow coach training to be online um should outsource training referees to the people who do it at the coal face and collect membership dues to fund the national team and um, put on national championships and not worry about the rest of it? Yes or no? (laughs) I'm not going to answer that question because all it's going to be is whatever I say, a 60 or 90 second yeah. Opportunity right. for Bruce to refute it. So well, he's gonna gonna do that anyway. silent and then you and then you can patch straight through to, to okay. whatever Bruce is gonna say. Okay. Um, you know, I mean look, there, there's there's different ways and if you ask ten people on what USA rugby should be doing, there'd be ten different answers. Um, you know, and a lot of it would be dictated based on personal experience um and 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 passion from each specific individual. So I really don't go down that rabbit hole, <laughs> you know, okay. there's, there's plenty of things to stay focused and busy on, um, you know, and, and, 
try not to to look at it in that regard. So are are there things, speaking as you are someone who played on the national team, coached with the national team, played in the Super League and, you know, on the the club level, coached on the the collegiate level, both in D1 and then up to like, you know, the the D1A level and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and in private, you know, the CRC, a private competition, all those things you've seen. Are there things that USA Rugby should probably just let lie fallow, let regular people deal with, because you, you've got other stuff to deal with. Yeah, I think I think you know you you can't you can't focus on boiling the ocean, or you know you you have to focus on specific areas that that um, you can impact and that you have a responsibility to impact. You know, I think certain things you have to let go. I, I think the CRC is one of those, like. There probably in the in the beginning of the CRC, it, it was um, there was some you know some resistance between USA Rugby and United World Sports, and I think right now you'd have to, you'd be hard pressed to say that next to the USA Sevens that the CRC isn't the second most um, influential rugby competition in the United States. Um, you know, I think it would, would would you say that's accurate as somebody yeah. that knows all the different yeah, competitions? Yeah, I, I think it's. It, it, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's it's, pr- it's, it's provided now. Now it provides it, it's on national television. It's got uh, you know men's or boys, men's and women's teams. It's got uh, all the different components outside the stadium. It, it's it's in a in a very highly qualified stadium. You know, it, the production as a whole, the experience the players have that week is is top notch. You know, it's it's a it's a great example and great standard that's set. Um, you know, and it was done so by an entity outside of outside of USA Rugby, the governing body. So I think it's a success, and I think there'll be more to come as as the game continues to grow. Um, okay, well, you know, I, I like to well circle around all the way back to the to the beginning. Um, we do talk about the Eagles a lot on Rugby Matrix America, um, partly because it's what the listeners, everybody's rooting for. Uh, we want the Eagles to do well. Um, um, I do before I I wanted to talk about the, the the men's national team just a couple extra questions but before I do I also want to talk about the the women's national teams um, especially the 15s team I think that um, with 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 a with all due respect to to Pete Steinberg and the coaching staff um, uh, you know I've I've known Pete for a long time he's a great coach but but it seems to me sometimes that the women's Eagles are on autopilot. Um, they go to the World Cup and they finish an adequate level these days, which is like fifth or sixth. Um, and then they come back and then we sort of do piecemeal games, stuff like that. Is there a thought realizing that you have no money um, and also acknowledging that there's something coming up in just a few days yep. after this thing? But um, is there a thought about trying to make um, – the the women's schedule and the women's preparation more regular, uh, like they have yeah, so in, the, in Europe. Well, the the obstacle is um, um, David Ellis, who we just met with. You know, that was from the Harlequins. We had a two hour uh, session this morning on on collaboration, and they they're taking their women's uh, team, the Harlequin sponsors very seriously as part of the the premier the premier competition i think they're calling it the super league or the women's super league um in in england 
Um, you know, the women's international sides don't have the window. So it's, it's harder, um, you know, to collaborate and, and there's no set competitive structure, um, in place. And, and we need to do, uh, you know, we want to, and we'll aspire to continue to try to set up, um, fixtures, you know, that, that fit into, to you know, something that our team can, can plan for. And we have to find them more fixtures at the same time. You know, we have to be able to monetize it and look to drive resources. But, you know, that, that also comes from you have to play and you have to have the brand out there to be able to bring um, people to the game and then to be able to get um, commercial partners and sponsors uh, to support it. So, uh, you know, that, that's something that uh, World Rugby is taking very seriously, as you just saw the, the recent strategy that they released. Um, it's something we're committed to. Uh, you know, the, the, we have the, the Can-Am challenge coming on with our women's team uh, in about four weeks time. No, it's two weeks time. Sorry. I've lost the whole month of March already, (laughs) but it's the last weekend in March and April 1st. We're playing Canada two times down at Silvestre in preparation for the biggest event this year for everybody in our calendar, which is the world cup, the women's world cup in Ireland um, in August. So, you know, we're, we're, we're doing all we can to help, the women's team prepare. They're going to have a full month in Tula, uh to to prep for the World Cup, and and then we're going to send them off uh, out of DC towards the end of July to go um, and compete in the, the women's World Cup and continue to drive the women's brands forward, just like we did with sevens this year. Uh, you know, it's uh, it there's there's a recognizable and appreciable product with women's rugby and you know there's forecast that by 2026 40 to 45 percent of the world's rugby players will be female uh, you know so why why don't we continue to work to get out in front of that do all we can to to drive the game forward on that side of the ball i feel like women's rugby uh, as a spectacle is kind of where uh the men's national team was maybe 20 15 20 years ago uh, so it, it, it was a sell job, really, to get 2,000 people to show up to an event. Um, and and sometimes people were so caught up in having been f- players that they didn't think about the fact that they would be fans. Um, and yeah. and I, think, I, I think it continues to be an issue. But it, that all, also gets fixed if everybody knows that there's always going to be a game uh, in you know, two games in the middle of June or whatever. Yeah, um, without a doubt. Yeah, that helps. Uh, on the on the men's um, side, we you know one of the big debates that comes up whenever we look for a coach is um, whether that coach should be American or not. I, I think more what that that debate is about is whether that coach should be invested in the American game. Uh, it doesn't matter where he was born or she was born, for that matter. Um, but should your should your national team coach? live in the United States? Should they, should they commit to moving? Um, is, is that, is that like yeah. a, a no deal, a, a deal breaker one way or the other? Well, I, no, I, I think that, um, you know, you have to define, define what you want out of, out of that coach and what the expectation is when that coach comes into, into your, uh, country. Um, you know, my personal opinion, which is, you know, the, and I, and I've shared this with, with both Mike and Mitch is that I, I believe, and I would hope, um, that our national team coaches would would be in the U.S. and be based in the U.S. Now, both of our coaches, in fairness to them, came in under 
you know, different, um, different expectations. Now, different, you know, they didn't, they're not going against anything that uh, was part of the agreement when they came in. And, you know, Mike, Mike, and the results that he's gotten in qualifying for the Olympics and everything that he's done for rugby in America, you know, you can't, uh, you can't really take away. I think um, my selfish take on it is that they're both such great coaches that I'd want them here all the time because it's such a great asset and we can use it for coach education and evangelizing the game and, and you know, and, and all of those regards. But uh, you know, I think to your, to your first point, it's regardless of where somebody's born, you want a competent coach. Right. And, and we have two competent coaches, you know, and then after when you start looking at the detail, detail subsequent to that, you, you prefer it for them to, to be based in the country. But that doesn't mean that, um, you know, they can't do do their job. The, you know, the, the, and, the interesting thing about uh, Mike Friday, also, you look at you look at Canada, Canada loses to the USA on the men's side, doesn't go to the Olympics and gets their their funding cut from uh, with, the, the Canadian Olympic Committee. Without a doubt. And, you know, that's, that's precisely where you have to always go back. And, you know, Mike gets results. He gets results. And he's, and, and he's, he's coaching coaches. Every coach is invited. You know, he, he's always open to coaches coming out the tour to shadow him. He's really, really invested in, you know, trying to develop and grow the game. Um, passionate guy. Not, uh, you know, he's not just floating in and, and, and in and out, you know, and I don't want to paint that picture whatsoever. He's such a great coach. Man, I wish we had him here 360 days out of the year. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and just the energy and the the tactics and the ability that he has um, to do what he's done is is absolutely phenomenal. And if you if you if let's not keep let's not forget that from two years ago, two and a half years ago, the odds didn't look very promising that we were going to even qualify for the Olympics. And, and if we didn't qualify, the discussion we'd be having right now would would be quite quite grave so you know that's on the seven side of things you can you can't shy away from that whatsoever you know getting us to the olympics and and competing and now doing what we're doing is is uh everything as advertised for mike sure and and in john mitchell's defense here uh the usa won their first 15s major 15s tournament since 1924 yep. and and um you know, I, I, I probably personally I haven't written enough about it, but it's a big deal. Um, but you, I guess, a lot of people still think about uh, the money side of things, and and these guys are expensive. We know that uh, Mike Tolkien was not paid as much as his predecessors or his successor, um, and uh, you know. You wonder if I mean is there's this hometown discount I guess, um, which which can be so, sometimes people sort of shrug and say, well, um, while all these things have happened, you know, ha- have have we beaten a team that's ranked ahead of us? Yeah, and, well, that's a good point, you know, and I think and you're speaking on the 15 side of things. Yeah, obviously in the 7s we closed the cap and we moved up on some. Sure. You know, I think in 15s you look at you look at the growth and, and the great things are we're, we're, we're competing with our domestic based team and, and having a lot of success in the ARC, but you're right. Um, you know, I think, I don't know what we were ranked 10 years ago, but it was probably 16th or 17th, um, maybe 18th. And I think we're ranked 17th currently, are we not? 
Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I ran so. across something recently today. I was looking for something and mentioned that USA had dropped down to 20th um, with Scott Johnson coaching. Um, and they had been up as high as 13 at some point. But that might have uh, been with, with Coach Phillips, I believe. Yeah, it probably, probably was. I wouldn't have been, wouldn't be surprised yeah. there. But, um, but you look at the team. There's their 17th now. Romania, which they just they lost to in the fall. Uh, Italy, Samoa, Tonga, mm-hmm. Georgia, Japan. Japan's number 11. And then Fiji. Yep. These are all teams that I think you, we say USA should be able to beat. Yep. Well, that, you know, that's the, that's the goal of the current staff, and they've been gearing up, and they've had a year, you know, almost a year and a half now to have all their systems in place, get their continuity together. You know, that's going to be the goal this June. You know, I think yeah. Georgia comes in here as ranked team that's ranked 11th or 12th, and, you know, we have a really good good opportunity with them at home to go out and, and show exactly uh, what the staff has done and how these players have developed and grown. And, you know, then obviously as we talked about going in and winning the first ever North America one qualifier would be the goal in the, in the home and away with Canada. Um, and if we're able to do that, you know, you, boy, you, you've seen some significant progress on the 15th side, um, you know, and, and that's that's exactly what the staff is, is intent on doing. And, you know, I think we can all be excited and looking forward to June. Good. The the thing about Georgia is though that they get games that help them, can help them with the rankings. I mean, you look at the USA and and playing Brazil or Chile only hurts you in the rankings. Uh, playing Uruguay, that's a good rankings game. The Argentina game and Canada is is still a good rankings game. The Argentina game is a non-test in the in the fall non-test game against uh, the Maori. That didn't count. Playing Ireland right. doesn't help you. I mean, the, the chances, unless they beat Ireland, it doesn't do anything to the thing. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Georgia is playing Romania and Russia um, and a number of uh, teams like that on a constant basis that allows them to earn. You know, they're going to win enough of those games if they're good that they inch their way up. Um, and the the points, Georgia is twelfth, as you said, seventy two point nine two points. USA at seventeenth have sixty six point seven nine. I mean, and and that gap, that six point gap, is actually very very difficult to to leap over with just a couple of games. It's, you need like ten games to do that. Um, I don't know what. I mean, but but you, that means you or somebody has to find Samoa and Italy and and Tonga and Romania and Georgia all the time coming to the United States. But is that is that a game that's going to fill the stands? Right. Right, and that's that's you know then that's just something that we continue to to have to overcome as we look to drive the game forward, you know. And I think that's where we we all want to drive our world ranking upwards. We in 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 all aspects for all the teams, you know. You always look at where you where you stack up, um, regardless. But you know, I, I come back to the messaging and the focus on the process, which is getting more players to more young boys and young girls playing the game, more people registered to officiate and, and building the overall game domestically. And the outcome then is an improved performance on those lines. Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of where I'm going to continue to throw a lot of my energy and, and, and attention is how do we, how do we work on the overall process to allow the outcome and the end results to, to be what we want them to be. All right. Good. Well, uh, Dan Payne, your old coach, Bing Dawson at Ombak, said that Dan Payne knows only one direction to go, and that is forward. I think that's probably still the case. Uh, very much appreciate you taking a, a, a pause from going forward all the time to, to talk to me and talk to the, the listeners here at Rugged Matrix America. Well, I, I appreciate all, all you're doing, Alex. And, and again, it's, uh, 
you know, it, it's, I, I get my energy from our community and, and to me, this is a passion and a service. It's not, it's not a job. So I, I don't say that lightly. I, I really, really love this game. And as long as I'm able to carry the baton for our country and try to continue to drive things forward, I will with everything I've got. And then I'll look to pass it off to somebody else that'll step up. But uh, right now it's just pretty, um, pretty energizing to, and it's an exciting time to navigate through this game in our country at the moment. Perfect. I appreciate it. All right. Thank thank you. you, Thank you. And that'll do it. That was our interview with Dan Payne. Uh, Rugby Matrix America brought to you by Eagle Impact Rugby Academy. Remember, you can look at the Rugby Matrix International Show on RugbyMatrix.com. You can check out all the old Rugby Matrix shows on GolfRugbyReport.com. Go GolfRugbyReport.com forward slash tags forward slash Rugby Matrix. And... You can also check out the show on iTunes. Thanks a lot to Dan Payne. We'll have everybody back to talk about this interview and more stuff uh, next time here on Rugga Matrix America.